On this AirCheck episode, we continue our session with Barry Scott, founder and host of the national syndicated radio show, The Lost 45s. This is part two of four, where Barry reveals how so many music publications get artist facts wrong, including the real story around Captain Antoniel's wedding day. Barry tells us how The Lost 45 show is produced with his thousands of audio clips and train wreck segues. The day he decided to go national... We hear some of his many interviews, including Beach Boy Brian Wilson and Cher, plus how his conversation with Smokey Robinson landed him a call from Aretha Franklin and almost Stevie Wonder, and how an on-air Whitney Houston tribute, The Day She Died, almost got him fired. Let's do it. Welcome to AirCheck Season 4, a podcast about radio's personality. From radio personalities, managers, consultants, owners, and your most humble hosts, from Philadelphia, Rich DeSisto and Paul Kelly. I'm Rich DeSisto. And I'm Paul Kelly. This is part two of a four-part series with Barry Scott, founder and host of the syndicated radio show, The Lost 45s. In our last conversation, Barry shared the story of the trade publication's recognition he immediately received when The Lost 45s show began at Emerson College in 1982. I had gotten a, an incredible amount of press from Billboard. They printed a top 100 of mine, Radio and Records, Friday Morning Quarterback, the Boston Herald, the Boston Globe, and that enabled me to get my first big boys job right out of college. The launch of his radio career on Boston's WBCN, KISS 108, WCOZ, WZLX, and Mix 98.5, and the unfortunate story of when race became an issue with the music he was playing. I told you not to play any black artists, and last night you played Casey and the Sunshine Band. And I said, well, besides the fact that Casey's white, and that's an interracial group, and by this point, the show was so successful, it was actually more successful than the station that it was on. I had a... I had a 15 chair, and they were struggling to get a two or three. How his middle school teacher exposed him to the Billboard Hot 100 charts and how that relates to his conversation with Roberta Flack. It's a very, very important thing that people like yourself and like your teacher who inspired you are around because otherwise there would be no moment of great joy and peace and beauty and memories. Here he is again from the Lost 45s, Barry Scott. Barry, if you're fortunate enough to find longevity in what you're doing, those anniversaries begin to take shape, right? The Lost 45 show, it took off, and the next thing you know, you're celebrating those milestones. Talk about the wave the Lost 45s was on and how you celebrated its success, notably the five-year and your 10-year anniversaries. Well, we did, a, we did a couple of shows for anniversaries. One was with David Cassidy and Ban- Danny Bonaducci, which was a hoot. And one, one was with Casey, the Sunshine Band. Um, you know, by then... My first interview was with Terry Jacks. I learned right away that Terry could tell me things behind the songs, like Which Way You Going, Billy. He was a part of the Poppy family with his wife, Susan, um, that I could not get in any book. And I also learned that as much as I love Casey Kasem, a lot of the information he got for AT40 was from press releases from artists, managers or publicists. And a lot of it was wrong, frankly. Um, The Captain and Daniil were not married on Valentine's Day. The most popular song in America for the year 1975 by Mr. and Mrs. Daryl Dragon, better known as the Captain and Tennille. Here's Love Will Keep Us Together. Although Casey said that, it was a PR stunt. They weren't married when Love Will Keep Us Together was number one. They got married after that. But for obvious purposes, it sounded great that one, they were married, and two, that it was Valentine's Day. And I learned that. I learned that time and time again. 
that you didn't get facts really from Casey. Sometimes you did, um, but I wanted to hear it from the artists themselves. And so many times pre-Wikipedia, pre-internet where you could really search, I would find things that were in billboard books, most especially wrong. So that relationship enabled me, Casey, back in 1991 of the Sunshine Band, he was not getting any airplay. And he came to Boston for literally nothing, just to have a hotel and a limo and to perform. And he was great. And then as time has gone on, a lot of these songs and artists have come back in one way or another. They become part of the oldies format or um, they become cool again. And I think Casey was one of them. So I was lucky at that time. Your show, describe a a typical hour of your show. Somebody that's never heard the show, what are they going to hear in the Lost 45s? Well, we have a format clock just like anybody else. It it changes over the years. The ratio of 70s to 80s music has changed over the years. Um, So there are definitely, although it sounds like it's kind of strung together, and although I pride myself with train wreck um, uh, segues, because I I love to shock someone with Run, Joey, Run. Run, Joey, Run. Followed by Culture Club. Um, I I think those sound fun. Um, That's the way radio used to be when I grew up. You heard those things. So there are definite, there's a song from 1975 to 79 that might start a show. And then a song from 70 to 75 that might be second. And then an 80 to 84. And once an hour, there's an 85 to 89. So you can give uh, Debbie Gibson a chance. So it's actually got structure. And then within that, there's a lot of things that go on between the records that I think make the show better than most shows. I have about, I'd say, 100,000 audio clips that I started back in the 1980s with videotapes. And I would connect the videotape. I would edit the audio. And so if I'm going to play Billy Don't Be a Hero, for instance, there is a, a line from Friends where they mention that song. What are you talking about? One woman. <laughs> That's like saying, there's only one flavor of ice cream for you. Welcome back to the world. Grab a spoon. Do you know how long it's been since I grabbed a spoon? Do the words, Billy, don't be a hero, mean anything to you? If I'm going to play Neil Sedaka, there's a line from Will and Grace where they mention him. Um, And I'll play that right before the song, and it changes it. Um, And then I have a thousand artist interviews. We do two, two clips an hour usually, so that an artist will tell you something about their song or their career every segment we have. And that is what sets this show apart. Just off the top of your head, you know, what do you think are the, the, the top three interviews that you've done over the years that really made an impact, not so much for the show, but maybe personally? Well, oddly, I've interviewed some superstars. Um, Brian Wilson was a tough interview. Uh, I was warned ahead of time by his manager he'd be a tough interview that sometimes he, you could take a question that is not a yes or no question and he'll say yes or no. Um, and so <laughs> I came up with about a hundred questions and the minute he hit me with something that just I couldn't do anything with, I hit him with another one. Do you miss AM music radio from your youth when you could hear all styles of music on one station from the four freshmen to Chuck Berry? I, I miss that. Yeah, I do. I, I, there's a station called KRTH, FM 101, that plays a lot of 50s and 60s songs. Or 60s and 70s, I mean. I could picture a young Brian Wilson with an AM transistor radio by his head (laughs) listening to the Top 40 back then. I used to do that, yeah. 
It's funny because that particular type of music, that AM radio that played everything, it's sorely missed. Yes, it is missed very much. And in the end, I got a good 20 minutes with him that his management called me back and said, what did you do? And I said, well, uh, and some of them, I, I, I do a ton of research. I mean, I research from every book and everything possible. And I had found this one little tidbit that he used to go to sleep with an AM transistor radio under his pillow. And so did I. So when I brought, so when I brought that up, he just came alive for a bit. Something, something clicked. And then he said, yeah, you could hear back then you could hear the four aces followed by uh, you know, a rock, followed by Elvis, followed by Mitch Miller, followed by Doris Day. And he, he just came alive. And so I do a lot of research for them. And the ones that really have stuck with me aren't Brian Wilson, Aretha Franklin, although I'll tell you a good thing about that one. Um, they're the one hit wonders of the songs that I absolutely adored that I get to talk to. The, the guy who sang The Night Chicago Died. Um, I mean, I was 11. That song was poetry to me. And hearing things about it was interesting. Um, you know, I already knew that there was no east side of Chicago, and that's how it was written. I heard my mom cry. I heard a brave night Chicago died. But there are a lot of little things like that that for, I think they strike, just like the show does for listeners. It strikes me at a time when I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and I'm talking to that actual person. Um, Aretha Franklin called me. I, I had spoken to Smokey Robinson and I said I was really looking f- you know, to speak to Aretha. And he said, let me see what I could do. And everybody says, let me see what I could do. But I don't know, a month later, I'm in the shower and the phone rings and I pick up the phone and I thought it was Aretha Franklin's publicist or secretary. And so I said, just a minute, hold on. And I'm toweling off. I run to the phone and I said, OK, um, who is this? And I hear why this is Ms. Aretha Franklin. And I went, and I knew, I knew right there. Um, and I think I did an even a higher pitch squeal than I normally do as a radio guy. I think I went, Aretha? <laughs> and uh, I asked her why, why she picked up the phone to call me. And she said, well, when you want something done and you want it done right, you do it yourself. And then despite me telling her not to call me Mr. Scott, she called me Mr. Scott through the whole interview. Hello? Yes, Mr. Scott? Yes? Miss Franklin again. You know, I have to tell you something since yesterday. I've been kicking myself. I thought your office was calling and not you. I mean, Aretha, nobody does those things directly. <laughs> I wondered if people are constantly surprised when you do that. Hmm. Oh, yeah, sometimes, uh-huh. <laughs> sure, but I said this was Aretha, not my office. Twice. And I was in the shower in a cell phone, and I bet I didn't hear it. But the minute you said it, I ran to my desk in panic. Mm. People call you a diva, and you're handling your calls directly. And I got to say, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I wanted Barry, but no, Mr. Scott. But I have certainly uh, enjoyed the interview. It's been wonderful speaking with you. It was a pleasure talking with you, too. Aretha, thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Enjoy your day. I will. You as well. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Um, adored that one. And Cher's interview. I've interviewed her a few times. She's fun. I host a show that's called The Lost 45s. Okay. And this show digs deeper and plays some of the stuff. For instance, we play Never Should Have Started by Black Rose. Oh, my God. We play one of my favorite Cher songs, A Woman's Story. (laughs) 
We play Love Like Yours, Don't Come Knocking. We play Rudy, which I happen to like a lot. I did too. And we go back as far as Ringo, I Love You. How funny. And what I've been trying to get accomplished is to see if you're interested at all in just talking about your music career sometime. You do those kind of interviews? I haven't done a lot of them. I have done a couple of them. I would be willing to do it if you want to do it. She doesn't need to take the time to, to think about something. Like when I asked her about the mid-60s hippie movement and I heard her sigh and I heard her say, you know, we used to hang out at a corner by the Hamburger Hamlet and people would give you flowers. We used to actually hang on Sunset Strip around a place called the Hamburger Hamlet. Everybody would hang up and down the strip and people would play tambourines and you'd walk around and people were giving you flowers. It was just a completely, I mean, if I hadn't lived in it, I would never have believed that it existed. Is it a time you think could ever come back again or is it gone? Oh, I think it's pretty much gone. But she took the time to describe it. And that's why I like the share interview. So um, I'd say 99.9% of my interviews, I loved. How did you get them? I mean, you're talking about thousands of interview uh, pieces of audio that you have. How, did, how are you connected to these people? The first one's interesting. Terry Jacks was my first one. He's the one I thought, you know, I used to, I do a top 100 countdown every year. Um, I think I'm on my 39th this year, perhaps. Um, Labor Day weekend. And um, the first year, Heartbeat is a Love Beat by the DeFranco family was number one, and that's what got the press while I was in college. And the second year, it was Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jackson, and that was number one for five years in a row. Um, no one else would play it, and it tugs at people, and it actually was the biggest selling song of 1974, surprisingly. So there was on a Terry Jack's Greatest Hits album, an address for the fan club. Now, this album came out in Canada in 1979 on his own record label, but I wrote to it. And a couple of weeks later at the station, I got a letter back. And that led to a phone number and calling him on his boat and the first interview. I learned from his interview that he knew someone. He knew the singer of the last song, who was a member of Edward Bear. And I spoke to Larry Evoy. And before you knew it, I was making the rounds in Canada. Um, ended up with, God, I, I did the Stampeders and all these Canadian-based bands that were big at that time, which I ended up with um, Burton Cummings, then Randy Bachman, and then I'm in America. And so I always ask when I'm talking to someone, is there anyone they play cards with, hang out with? have been in the studio with, written a song with, that might want to do an interview like this. And virtually every time they name someone. And that's what Smokey did for Aretha. Aretha tried to get me Stevie Wonder, which is an impossible interview. But I know she tried because she was looking him up in her phone book. Um, <laughs> and I ended up with a Stevie Wonder phone number, which is him singing on his machine, his tape machine. He, he recorded a whole bunch of... Um, Greetings that used to change, and I recorded a few of them, but never got to Stevie. Wow, amazing. I want to hear from you, so leave me your best message, won't you please? Leave me your best message, won't you please? Leave me your best message, until we speak, I send you love, blah, blah, blah. God bless you. 
You're listening to Season 4 of AirCheck, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities. Rich and Paul have lined up another roster of guests just as compelling as Seasons 1, 2, and 3. AirCheck Season 1 includes conversations with Eddie Trunk, Danny Bonaducci, Nina Blackwood, and more. AirCheck, available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play AirCheck Podcast. How about uh, Whitney Houston? Uh, I know when she passed away uh, a decade ago, which is crazy, uh, 2012, um, that uh, the a couple of the uh, news organizations, television news organizations in the Boston area, knew to go to you uh, for an interview uh, to for reaction, uh, not just from yourself, um, but also as uh, from the from your radio audience that was calling into your show. Um, did you ever have an opportunity to speak with her uh, through the years and and talk a little bit also about uh, when she passed and and uh, you know how that affected you? I did not play a lot of Whitney Houston on my show. Um, you know, most of her songs were overplayed. Um, and so I didn't get a lot of requests for her. I, I saved for Love Will Save the Day, which actually makes my top 100. Um, but I was on the air the day she died. I was on the air. I heard about it. And immediately the phone call started coming in. WODS DJ Barry Scott called the Grammys a fitting tribute. We're talking about one of the best pop vocalists ever. Without question. Scott says listeners have been shocked by Houston's death. I think in the end they're going to remember her voice. Uh, the voice on those records, there was nothing like it. This is actually a sore spot for me because all the stations called. And I was a marketing director, promotions director. I was working at a station um that was owned by CBS and all three networks came, uh, CBS, ABC, NBC, the local affiliate came and one of the independents came. So there were four cameras in the hallway. Now, normally those stations like to go to different places. They don't all want to sit and wait for each other. They don't want to have the same talking head on their station that night. So it was rare. And we are we arranged it so they each had about five minutes and I was doing a Whitney Houston special this week. We pay tribute to Whitney Houston, gone too soon. And I was going back to people who talked about Whitney. Michael Zager, who did the disco song Let's All Chant, was the first guy to bring her into the studio. She was only 14 years old. She recorded a song on that album, Life's a Party, and I played that. And a lot of the stations took that clip. 103.3's Barry Scott played another tribute to Whitney tonight. Whitney made it a row. Including a rare track from when Whitney Houston was just 14 years old. The first time on record is a song called Life's a Party, and that's a lost 45. Meanwhile, Houston's ex-husband, Bobby Brown, barely kept it together on stage at a concert in Mississippi Saturday night. It aired on all those stations, and the next day I almost got fired. In the short-sightedness that always seems to come with being a specialty DJ, they don't want you ever to eclipse their station. I don't think they wanted me to be the representation of that station with a specialty show that didn't quite represent the station as a whole. Even though I, I actually went in and I put, a, I put a banner behind me, so they got a lot of press. And I think it's a no-brainer as a marketing director. But the head of marketing for this corporation was mad that I didn't go through her. And um, I got a warning for that. So it was a lesson to me that uh, the, the battles as a specialty DJ, even with a number one show, were constant. 
the number of program directors who told me they didn't get it, the number of them who said that song was a stiff, it reached number 13, why are you playing it? And me arguing this after a track record of 20, 25, 30 years, it became obnoxious. I got some PDs who did truly get it. You know, Greg Strassel got it. John Zellner got it. I had a few that really got it that were fans. But more often than not, it was a struggle. So at some point, you decided to make this thing nationally available. Was this what uh, drove that uh, car down the road? Well, you know, I got approached to do that in, the, in like 93 um, while I was working with Greg Strassel, and he was a big supporter. So um, it's been on in syndication ever since. And now I'm doing it my, on my own. Um, I did it for years with a national syndicator. And the amount, frankly, of money that goes down to the person who's actually hosting, creating and writing continued to dwindle um, while they made bigger profits. So I decided, let me do this on my own. And there were enough stations that although they normally get it pure barter and actually paying for something isn't really a part of most radio stations plan. There's enough stations that pay um, a stipend every week just to air the show with no commercials that it makes it more financially successful for me. And that's the path I've chosen. I'd rather be on a station that really wants it, um, that gets it, and that is happy with it. And at this point in my life, that's, that's the way it's going. This is where we do the step aside and fill in the blanks for the listener that's saying, what is he talking about? Barter and no commercials and money and stipends. So for, for somebody that's not in the radio industry, a show like Barry's, he records in advance and a network will sell advertising that would air during the show. And at the end of the day, there were so many middle people, middle people, middle people that at the end of the day, Barry got very little money. So Barry decided to do this show on his own without any advertising sold within and radio stations would directly pay Barry for the availability to run this show, and then the radio station could interject as little or as many commercials that they would like to sell during the show. Is that right? That is correct, Paul. And I, <laughs> I also, you know, I, I do, I will do, um, that was a good summation. I will do um, audio sponsorship billboards. This show is brought to you by anything the station requests, any kind of liners. Uh, I, I think I'm actually more a part of each of those stations than I was when I w was syndicated. I I'd like to think that I'm a member of their, and most of them do treat me as if I'm a member of their air staff. And that makes it a more pleasant experience all around. How much different did the show have to evolve when you were doing it on a local level and then uh, decided to go national. Did, did the framework have to change, have, have to fit a different kind of uh, foundation, or, or were you able just to, to pick up and move forward in, in those plans? It was largely the same. Uh, I had my eye more on, especially in the beginning, being playing the hits, uh, playing the songs that listeners expected, the biggest ones. And so since 1993, you know, I could play Seasons in the Sun. The most I'll play it is 12 times a year. No song, even the biggest songs get played more than once a month on my show. And that enables me. I, I mean, we have over 50,000 songs we could choose from. And some of those will get played one time. Some of them will get played one time in a few years. And that's the joy of this. As it's opened up over the years, now we have a lot of rarities. We have a lot of alternate takes of songs. We have a lot of songs that people might not remember that there was, there was an original version, like I didn't even discover this, but there's a, you know, the most beautiful girl by Charlie Rich. I've been playing since 
I don't know when. It was number one in 1973. And it's a lost 45. But um, there was an original version of that song from 1967 called Hey Girl. And it's it's got totally, or Hey Mister. Hey Mister, did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? Hey Mister, did you happen to see the most beautiful and I found a copy of that, and I realized there's a treasure trove of original songs that became hits, like uh, Obsession. Holly Knight, the writer, did it with Michael DeBar. He, they did it on the One Night in Heaven soundtrack. You are an obsession. I cannot sleep. I am the movie obsession. is with uh, Christopher Atkins. The song is totally different than the one from Animotion that became a top 10 hit, and listeners find it interesting to hear the original or to hear the demo or to hear where this song came from and it wasn't a hit um so the show has expanded that way and i think it's more interesting now than it ever was well there you go i had no idea Animotion's obsession was a cover learned a lot of things on this session with barry scott on our next episode with barry part three of four barry recounts his first book we had joy we had fun how many 45s he actually owns, his horror stories of queuing up and playing vinyl records, the time he didn't know a record was skipping on the air when he went to the bathroom, and how saying the word erection on the air almost lost him his job. You can follow us, stream, and download every episode of Air Check on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play Air Check Podcast. If you haven't done so, give us a great rating. We'd also love to hear from you on our Facebook page, Aircheck Me. This is Rich DeSisto. And I'm Paul Kelly. We'll talk to you soon. Closing out another episode of Aircheck, a podcast about radio's personality from radio personalities. If you have radio stories to share, we'd love to hear from you. Join the Aircheck guest list. Email aircheckme at gmail.com. Musical props are Chris Gordon's. Announcer props, I'll take those. Greg O'Brien, the OB. Aircheck is available now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also tell your smart speaker to play Aircheck Podcast. Aircheck is the creation of RDPK Productions.